guys. You're listening to Metal Matters, a weekly Gimme Radio podcast. I'm your host, Mike Hill. If you like metal, punk, hardcore, or anything extreme, you've come to the right place. So subscribe and never miss out. On this week's episode of Metal Matters, we have New York hardcore legend Eddie Sutton. He joins us this week to fill us in on Leeway NYC, the most recent chapter in the band's storied career. For those of you who have listened to our crossover episode, you experienced the love we have for Leeway firsthand. So that's why it's really exciting that I had a chance to talk to Eddie about this brand new chapter in Leeway's history. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. It means a lot to me. I see everyone sharing it on Facebook and Instagram. I see people adding it to their stories. That's all good stuff, and I really appreciate it. If you guys want to follow me on Facebook, it's Michael Hill. On Instagram, Michael underscore DC underscore Hill. Now on to the interview. Congratulations on the new 7-inch. Uh, Jerry, Thank you. Jerry sent me, uh, you know, a stream, and uh, I spent a lot of time listening to it. And um, so this is the first new material uh, since the the mid '90s. Yeah. And yeah, um, it definitely is. So who who's in the band these days? Well, I've had Dan Nastasi from, uh, you know, Doggy Dog, and originally Mucky Pup reached out to me and wanted to collaborate. So we started doing stuff. We worked on a series of tracks, but we chose the best two to release a single. I never got to do singles with Leeway. We were blessed with an immediate record deal and budget, you know, with profiles. So we went straight to the album thing after putting out, you know, a couple of demos. So with today's industry, I figured that's the best way to try to start things out. Let's pick something very strong, you know, something that honors the band's legacy instead of desecrate it and, uh, you know, establish a new phase. I've been challenged with deciding what to call the band, and I chose Leeway NYC simply because I didn't want people to think the band was back together or, or, or lie to them. You know, because some bands just keep the same name and they switch so many guys around. I didn't want people disappointed. So I wanted them to know there was a new phase, a new time and place, a future. And uh, that's really why we started with the single. Um, you know, I can't control the past. There's a lot of issues and difficulties with trying to get the new, the, the old discography out steady on iTunes and Spotify. So... I wanted to do something new. I wanted to show people that this band can go on, even if it's me and my friends who helped me with the tribute show. Because, you know, Leeway NYC is the greatest Leeway tribute band on the planet. You yeah, know? there was uh, several years you, you were out doing that, I remember. Uh... Slowly building it, slowly yeah. building it up to now. Uh, would have been nicer for things to happen quicker and everything like that, but everything happens for a reason. And, and sometimes, uh, you have to be patient to establish what you're looking for. 
Well, you so know, a lot, of, a lot of bands, you know, over the years, even you look at Black Sabbath, you know, I mean, how many lineups have they gone through? It's all only just Tony Iommi, really. I mean, there was that phase. Yeah, especially after, after Ozzy, you know, you had a good run with Dio, but then Dio and them broke up and, you know, they, they tried to go with Ian Gillen. I didn't think that was a great album, you know, and there's nothing wrong with moving on. So long as, you know, you're writing something that everyone gets, you know, I don't write this music to please an audience, but of course it's nice for an audience to get what you're trying to do and understand and relate and like it. And, uh, that I'm very satisfied with because it was very important for me to not desecrate the past. You know, maybe I'm not in touch with the guys. Maybe we're not working together, but I'm still very honored for what we did together. You know what I mean? And I don't want to destroy or disrespect that. If anything, I want to improve on it. That's that's really it. And, and uh, you know, make the best of the time that I have left in this music because I'm not a spring chicken, you know. Yeah, those uh, early records are definitely influential. I mean, um, you know, I mean, especially for me, Born to Expire. I mean, I remember when that first came out. Actually, the way I found out about Leeway is through Bevin Stone, the guy who painted the uh, the record cover. I spoke to him about a year ago. Really? Yeah, I went yeah, to high school with him. I went to high school. He was in the Bay Area, somewhere. You know, he's a pretty uh, low key, aloof guy, but I finally got in contact with him not too long ago because. After he did that album cover for us, you know, he got a lot of attention and he probably could have worked with a lot more bands if he stayed with it. But, you know, he chose his path. You know, he's he's doing whatever he's doing and he must be happy. He sounded very happy when I spoke to him. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was through him that I actually discovered the band. Uh, a good, it wasn't even directly from Bevan. It was a friend of ours named Randy who was like, I think you're going to like this because you like Slayer and you like all this Metallica-type stuff. And at the time, I was just dabbling in hardcore, but when I heard uh, Born to Expire, there was a lot there for me to appreciate. And in a lot of ways, I did an earlier episode on this podcast about crossover, and uh, uh-huh. I definitely featured Leeway as being... You know, a band that crafted that kind of crossover hardcore thrash. Like, what I know that's a that's a funny name, and I didn't think of it in those terms back then. Mm-hmm. But, but as time went on, and you have the you know you look back and you see over the years that oh yeah, there was SOD, there was Leeway, there was all these bands that sort of crafted this like new sound. And I kind of yeah, feel, when we were first doing shows, it's funny Billy Milano was showing everybody the new SOD. Yeah, You know, we didn't really get part of, you know, the the original crossover claim because our music didn't get, it wasn't released until much later. But a lot of people who are in the know are aware of our place in that history. You know, when AJ and I started the band in 84, Kill Em All from Metallica was only out a few months at the time. And I think when a lot of people heard Metallica, you know, it, it was a life-changing moment, especially for metal, because, you know, it wasn't like that corny Dungeons and Dragons type of vibe. You know, it, it was it was a very street style. And, you know, 
I heard those riffs on that album and, and I was like, I want to be able to do my hardcore style and energy with this type of guitar and sound and power with, with, with strong drums, you know, if not like this, like Girl of the Bad Brains and, and that syncopated beat that he established with a very palpitating type of kick drum. And, uh, you know, that was it because, you know, I was so torn between hardcore and metal, but, you know, obviously I couldn't relate to the current metal head's frame of mind. You know what I mean? So uh, I think that's why a lot of people started uh, changing and, and introducing, you know, uh, a metal sound into the punk and hardcore because, let's face it, the musicianship was better, the sound was better. And a lot of bands before 1984 were having fun. They weren't really determined. They didn't have a, a plan, I don't believe. You know, they were just doing it. But then once they started seeing that other bands were picking up their game, you know, bands tried harder. You know, I remember Roger and Benny coming to see us at a, a gallery show that I did with, uh, I don't know if Youth of Today was on that bill. They were still very uh, fresh and nobody really knew them. But, you know, bands were paying attention and bands were stepping up their game at that time. And that's why I think... New York established itself as its own separate, you know, genre, you know, that that's finally getting recognized in documentaries and books over the last several years. Yeah, you know, definitely. Because, you know, it is it is being respected as a phenomenon, a culture, a scene, a genre. So, I mean, I'm very proud that that, you know, I'm a part of that legacy. But I think early on, and for a lot of people that aren't in the know, they don't realize how close we were to that early generation of crossover. Yeah, so, definitely. I mean, you know, it was my understanding you guys, you know, that record was recorded like years before it came out. And, yeah, and, yeah um, it was recorded in November 87. It didn't get out till January 89. We had to wait it out because Zowie left the band for a steadier gig with a band called Circus of Power, which had a major label. They put him on salary. He toured. So we had to wait for him to come home in order to get uh, him to sign a release. So it held everything back. So a lot of people knew the music before it came out, especially like the, the, the local New York scene. Everybody was familiar with the songs already in our set. And then by the time the album was released in January 89, hell, we already had Desperate Measures ready to go. You know what I mean? So it was only a, a short step to get into the studio and create that record. And we were able to deliver with like a one-two punch within a three-year vein and, and have our first video on MTV and everything else, you know? So, uh you know what we did very early on was able to give us the respect and attention that we established and if it wasn't for the bad brains taking us on the road for the quickness tour i don't know how much of a fan base we would have established at that time 
you know, because regionally we had attention, but we didn't have attention nationally. Yeah, that you know, was, was, I was going to mention that tour with Bad Brains because that was the first time I'd seen the band actually was, um, mm -hmm. was on the Quickness tour. And, and um, you know, I, I was familiar with the music, but I'd never seen you guys play until you guys did that tour. So that was that well, was pretty. Uh, being a Brooklyn kid, I would figure you went to some Lamore shows. Now nah, I see. I didn't grow up down here, though. You know, I remember I went to high school with Bevan, and we we were mm. from out in the suburbs. You know, so I didn't All make right. it down down to uh, to, to Lamores or anything to get to catch you guys. And um, yeah, I lived I lived in Long Island for several years in the seventies. I moved back to New York the same night. John Lennon was shot. Oh, wow. Damn. So, and then within six months, I found hardcore and I started going to shows. And, uh, you know, it was all downhill from there. I like to <laughs> joke, you know. Now, aside from the power, I mean, just listening to the music, you know, you got guitar solos, you got this incredible drummer, you got these very powerful riffs. But also, one of the things that really made Leeway stand out was your voice. So, what you know, what was the, the sort of inspiration to sing the way you did in the band? Because, I mean, if you think about, you know, the, the 80s, you know, you had Cro-Mags, you had Agnostic Front, that had a very different vocal style. Yeah, and it was more aggressive and just straight up hard. Nobody was really trying to sing at the time. I think it was a combination of two things. I, you know, uh, for a lot of vocalists in hardcore, I think they were afraid to be melodic. You know what I mean? Like... uh they're afraid like their masculinity is going to be questioned or something. It's an insecure thing. And I had to build and grow on that. I didn't have the answers when I first started. It was a DIY thing, you know, just jump in and do it. You know, you'll get better if you practice. And that's why Leeway got better because we did practice three times a week, you know, or at least twice a week, three hour sessions. And we were, I was lucky to be around all these guys that not only, you know, practiced art on their instrument, but they started to really shine. And, and they're all renowned musicians today playing with this band or that band. Um, for me, I just, I simply did what I felt was right, like what was good and, and what I wanted to do here. I didn't try to overthink it too much. I tried to simply emote with the skills that I had at the time and just try to improve and push the envelope every every chance I got. You know, each album, as you can hear, has a different sound to it or different energy and vibe. And, uh, you know, that's one thing that Leeway always delivered was was moving forward and progressing and and uh you know just just growing you know what i mean you know we all started out you know kind of being green and uh, you know only knowing our instruments or our positions for a couple of years and uh since i was raised on a lot of r&b and and grew up with all the you know, the rock and the metal that I was listening to with my friends in school as well. Um, you know, I, I, I just became who I, I was, you know, and I just tried to do more each and every time. I never took a lesson. I never went to a vocal coach. Uh, over touring in the 90s, I actually learned how to sing properly and 
breathe and push from my diaphragm and stomach instead of yelling it or growling it out through, through my uh, throat. And uh, that's it. You know what I mean? Um, this this whole phenomena that was hardcore that I started checking out in 1981 was about no trend, no conformity, about being yourself, being an individual. And, and that's simply what I tried to be within myself. I wanted to, you know, show my style more so than what should be the style or what should be the norm. You know what I mean? I, I was willing to take chances. You know, I guess that's why Adult Crash is the weakest of the four albums is because we were trying to get to Open Mouth Kiss, but we weren't in a good place as a band. We really weren't playing much together. I was strung out at the time. So, you know, the album is hit and miss. It's not a top to bottom strong album like the first two were an an open mouth kiss but you know you can't deny that we we progressed and we tried to do more and we tried to give our audience more each and every time you know? oh yeah i mean absolutely i mean especially i mean you know you're definitely harder on that particular record than i think a lot of people are on that record because i know a lot of people that really enjoy listening to that and also you got to remember too. I, in my opinion, I don't think there would be bands like Quicksand or any of those bands without Leeway, really. You know, cause since mm -hmm. I was, since we were saying that, you know, you, you, in my opinion, your approach to vocals opened the door for a lot of those guys. Oh, I hope so. I hope so. I know Walter, you know, um, is a phenomenal talent. You know, as you can see from what he's done over the years, not just Gorilla Biscuits, but what he does himself yeah. or what he's done to help uh, with the Civ album and and uh, the things he does today, you know, in film and does a lot of acoustic shows. And um, that album, that Quicksand uh, album, to me, uh, meant a lot, too, because... It helped validate what I was trying to do vocally. Uh, and when we discuss crossover, most people think crossover is about, you know, metal and hardcore. But over the last 30 years since that term has been used, crossover means uh, a band or artist's appeal. Like, can you cross over to this scene or that scene? You know, do you have crossover appeal to a mainstream audience or do you just cross over to a metal audience? So crossover has become a much bigger word, I think, over the last few decades. But, um, you know, I, I know more more melody is being used. I think a lot of it was just, you know, insecurity and masculinity. I think a lot of dudes were afraid to sing early on because you know they might you know get teased for being soft oh know, yeah especially in the hardcore so so much about hard but for me i found it as a challenge i wasn't going to sit there and just growl songs i wanted to try to you know walk the tightrope if you will and actually find a way to sing this yet keep it as strong and masculine as possible because let's face it nobody's going to say Bob Marley is a pussy. Hell no. You know Absolutely what I mean? not. Yeah. 
and and that man, you know, sang very tender, you know, loving songs, not just about his spiritualism or his, uh, you know, call for revolution and change, you know. So, you know, um, I wasn't afraid, you know, I wasn't afraid to try things. I guess that's why people also gave me respect with the Marauder demo and, and the truth and right stuff you know, not too long ago. Yeah, know? actually. I'm very honored. I'm very honored by it. And that's why I stayed with this music and I kept coming back and trying. This is who I am. You know, this music is, you know, where I came from, not just my roots in, in early music from the 70s. Would I like to do music from the 70s and do some R&B? Yes. But if I wanted to be a rock star, I would have given this up a long time ago. <laughs> And simply joined the boy band. You know what I mean? My joke to that is that I was telling everybody in Europe, like, you wouldn't be seeing Leeway right now. You'd be watching Eddie Leeway's New Direction instead of One <laughs> Direction. You know? Yeah, but that's, that's the truth. That's the truth, you know? I kind of fucked up my career, you know, getting caught up with drugs and being dependent on street opiates, meaning heroin, you know, because I was never in the pharmacy life that most addicts fall into you know i was just simply a street kid that got involved with a street drug and um you know i i ruined a lot of opportunities for myself but i also believe like you know life is a journey that is what it is and you have to pick up the pieces and you have to live with your bad choices and make the best of it. The fact that I have this opportunity now and still at 54 and I'm healthy enough to do it and, and still be on top of the game and just as strong as any other performer who's, who's the thing now or who the shit is now, you know, um, I take a lot of pride in that. And, and that's why I want to try to make the best of the next few years because I know the time is running out. I've been able to walk away from this music Time and time again, I also know that this time when I walk away, it's it's probably for good because of my age, you know. Yeah, you know, but then Iggy's out there, Iggy Pop's out there doing his thing, and you know, it's, true. You know, but you, I don't you know, know if I could be Iggy. You know <laughs> what I mean? Uh, throat cancer could possibly happen to me. Other heart ailments. Iggy Pop is still in great shape. Yeah, Jimmy yeah. Osterberg is a marvel of fitness, you know, and uh, guys can only wish they could look that well when they're 70. Obviously, yeah, he's an old dude, the skin's falling off his, <laughs> his body and shit like that, you know what I mean? But, you know, there's plenty of girls that will go to bed with him today, you know what I mean? Like, you know, I, I take my age as a badge of honor because, you know, and because I do actually use my stomach and diaphragm, I have a natural six-pack of abs. I've been blessed with a with a woman half my age who wants her life with me to help raise her kids together. That's why I live in Virginia Beach now. So I don't care about being called an old man. I just worry about where my health will be in a few years just because of the lifestyle I led and everything else, you know. Now, do you I think that um, going, I will. with, you, you know, know all, all those like dark years of, um, you know, you touched on it earlier with, with drugs mm -hmm. and heroin, do you, mm -hmm. did, 
do you see anything positive that might have come out of that, like a, a perspective or um, like a way of like like a reevaluation or anything like that? Yeah, without question, it was a journey. Um, you know, my dad was in the life; he was involved in organized crime, and despite being a film editor during the day for WOR TV at night. I mean, WORTV was a film editor during the day, but at night he owned an auto body tow truck company. And, you know, he was involved with the early uh, version of what a chop shop is today. Mm -hmm. And he did a lot of other things. And then at one point he started taking, you know, something to keep him up at night and then something to fall asleep. And he fell down the same path. I never wanted to be that person. When I used to see the, the neighborhood junkie on my corner in Astoria not out and his ice cream every day, it was hysterical and pathetic at the same time. I never knew I'd become such a person, but I found out through treatment that I was medicating my depression that I've established. You know what I mean? I had mental health issues that needed to be attended to. And here I am thinking... You know, I'm using this drug because it's a nice stimulant. Uh, you know, I'm young, I'm sexually active. It's a great stimulant for being in bed with someone. And I didn't realize that I was getting caught up with it and, and becoming addicted and dependent on it. Now, I learned a lot about people. I learned how to read who really is your friend and who really is a brother or a sister to you, and who's not, you know, uh, I, I I understood the frailties of, of humans and and how much of a gift this life really is. You know, I got very lucky because I was strictly dependent on opiates. I wasn't into pills. I wasn't into cocaine. I wasn't really into alcohol, even though I drank. The one drug that I still use today is marijuana. You know, I still smoke weed. I do believe it has medicinal qualities. But I also see it as a gateway drug because that's what I started with. You know, a couple of beers, you know, uh, in high school and smoking weed. And then you want to try other things. You move and, and you tend to graduate because you want to experiment or whatever it is but a lot of people who are dealing with depression can easily get caught up with this there's a lot of people that don't have depression but then they get an injury and then all of a sudden yeah. they become dependent on this uh you know a, a pharmaceutical and then eventually they're so addicted they become so addicted and they become so depressed because of the trauma of their injury that they become addicts too I know somebody who was a very straight-laced kid but got into a fight with two gay men and then uh, I don't know what they did. He went chasing them and then they jumped him at the turn of a corner and bit his, half his ear off. Oh, wow. And during the surgeries and the reconstruction of that ear in pain, he established a drug problem and became a street junkie. Yeah, and that's... He eventually recovered after several years. That that's but, um, a story I've heard a couple times. Like I know I know a handful of people who've had uh, experiences that's, that's similar. That's how to that. you know a, a strong percentage of today's addicts come from that just simple pharmaceutical 
dependency because they end up with a bad injury. They're medicated for this for a prolonged amount of time. They automatically establish a habit. And unless you're really of sound mind and you're not mentally traumatized by that incident that puts you through this health issue and, and need for pain meds, um, you're going to fall down. You're going to fall down. Uh, you know, even Superman had his kryptonite. You know what I mean? Yeah. And and like I said, I I wouldn't be here if the band blew up back in the day because I would have been one of those rock and roll cliches. I was a rock and roll cliche. You know what I mean? A lost front man addicted to a drug. You know what I mean? Running around like a fool. Uh, from there, you know, if it wasn't, for that one drug, I probably would still be lost, and I would probably need to be on some stabilizing medication like methadone or something like that. You know. So you didn't go but, through that program of. of oh, using, I did have oh, you to. Did. I okay. did have to. I, right. I mean, you know, let let's face it. You know, it during a six and a half, seven year run of me being on and off dope. By the time that lifestyle ended. You know, I was an IV addict, and, and it was like two straight years without any time out, except for like when I was getting arrested and sitting on Rikers Island. That would be the only time, you know, and it, that, that I would go without. So I had to do that, and then after four years, I left New York and moved to Pittsburgh and, and you know, started everything all over from there. I think if I was interested in cocaine or into pills like Xanax or something like that, I probably would still be strung out. But I don't know how it worked, but I was able to get myself past that. And a lot of it has to do with a very simple, small dose of an antidepressant that, that, that helped balance my brain chemistry where I don't feel so weak and want to be in that world anymore. I don't know how to explain it. And, and like I said, I'm not a sober man, you know what I mean? But I'm, I'm not on dope, I'm not on heroin, and, and I've been blessed with that. Uh, and I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I was still on dope. Well, I was going to say you that, know I mean? you know. I, mean... I, wouldn't, I wouldn't have the team of people behind me, not just the uh, musicians that come in and out and work with me, but the people that help me make all this happen wouldn't be fucking with me if i was still messed up you know it's only a matter of time before you're outed and you you play yourself you know what i mean absolutely it's just a matter of time yeah because you know the typical story with with a lot of people especially you know after you know a couple of decades of being involved and stuff you know they you people end up knowing that it's like i can't work with this guy because of this you know what i mean and I worked very hard over the last decade, slowly building this up, you know, making sure that, you know, my word was a bond. If I promised a band member a certain amount of compensation out of a show, they got it. I never left them hanging. And if I had a, you know, uh, say we did a door deal and we made no money that night, I would make it up down the line, you know, uh, and that's important because you're not going to have people wanting to work with you if you can't deliver. Um, it was very hard to get this uh, European tour balanced 
and uh, we we finally were able to get it balanced the budget just before we left that weekend before we left so here I am I'm on tour I'm the tour manager I'm doing the books every night everybody that's supposed to be taken care of whether it's booking agency commission band members salary uh rentals merch and 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 you know my guys who help manage my thing you know all those people have to get a piece of that and uh you know it's not easy to really balance that for, for a lot of people and not only did I do that, but I worked the merch table. I consider it like my way of having a free meet and greet. You know, I'm not really a backstage type person. And I wouldn't be able to do the tour and cover everybody if I didn't do all these positions. So if, if I was trying to maintain a habit or still getting high, I would have fucked all that up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It's, it's a lot of responsibility no to carry, you know, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and plus, plus, you know, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm holding money. Yeah, you know what I mean. So it, that shit would have burned the hole in my pocket in a fucking heartbeat, you know. Yeah, I know a lot of guys who don't even have a habit like that, and the money <laughs> seems to get you know compromised at some point, you know. Yeah, it's not an easy thing. Yeah. And so you know, and and I figure I have twice the battle because. I used to be that guy and that's what everybody expects me to be. So, you know, I have to work extra hard at proving everybody wrong. And I enjoy that at the same time. I think that keeps me going because, you know, uh, being able to prove to people that I can do all these things, you know, uh, surprises them because i think they just assume me to be an inarticulate burnout you know and and i'm far from that how was the tour over in europe i mean I'm, it was I'm... probably the best tour that i've had in the 15 16 tours that i've done in europe uh we hit a lot of countries that i never had the pleasure to play before with leeway which is poland scandinavia I mean, that's getting so, 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 uh, Slovakia. Oh, okay. All right. And, and, and Budapest, Hungary. Oh, yeah. I was able to do those three places and Glasgow for the first time. But seeing the Polish audience sing along to Pusher was very, very gratifying and very, very humbling to me because, you know, Poland is not like, uh, Germany today where more people do speak English the communications better than it was it's like Poland is today like where Germany was 25 years ago yeah with, uh, yeah because it's only been like uh, like maybe 15 years I think they joined the uh, EU um, yeah. yeah and so. it's the new generation of kids that are getting English in school so you know but Poland isn't there yet but not saying all of them you know what I mean? But the fact that a lot of them do have that language barrier, but they're singing along with me was, was very humbling. And each night was a solid, solid show. Um, as far as draws, some shows were quiet because, you know, we were in a small town on Tuesday night. You know, every night can't be Friday or Saturday. You know, 
there's seven days in a week. Some some days people don't go out, so there's not as many people at shows. But every show was was strong top to bottom as far as the audience response and talking to young kids who were coming to their first show with a parent or friend to the old timers. It, it, it was beautiful, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to get back there before the year's over or, or January, you know, um, going out there again once we finally get the physical single available. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get out there as soon as possible. So let's talk about the new record now. So what, what label's putting that out, just for anyone out there who well, isn't on top it, of all it's this? It's a combination. I'm trying to find a way to maintain this in a... What's the word I'm looking for? In an executive DIY way, where okay. the 45 Project is is the label under Gordon and Laz. Now, Gordon Nances who used to be Leeway's first lead guitar player and also played with AF before he joined us in the mid-'80s. He was from uh, New York City Mayhem mm -hmm. with Tommy Carroll and Craig Ahead. Uh, he and Laz Pina, the bass player from Il Nino, they're both like my managing partners. These are guys I grew up with, you know, going out to shows in New York and hanging out for almost 35 years, definitely 30 they're really the only guys I could trust. And we all started working together roughly about two and a half years ago. And it took a slow process to finally get up to this point. Now, you also have my reality entertainment, which is what I call my label. And Upstate is is signed on as, as basically a worldwide distributor. Okay. But we're looking to have a much bigger relationship as we go along. I like the energy that, that Mario had. His wife is dynamite. It's not really a one-guy label. They've got great bands who who have great people in them. I thought it was the right move. And uh, so far, everything's been great because I never had a positive experience with a record label before, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, there's... You know, Profile did what they did, but at least Profile got us out there. Yeah. You know what I mean? They gave us the budget to create something that was so good that everybody else wanted to go up to that same studio to create that sound. Oh, Normandy Stowns up there? Yes. Yeah. 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 When, when is the record actually going to be available for people to purchase, and how can they get it? Is it going to be like... Well, it was official as of Friday. Okay. So now, recently. people can reach out to Upstate Records and get that. Um, and we also have like bundles available because we made a very small pressing for the first one, just 500. So we, we, it was a little bit more expensive getting the first 500 press than we hoped for. So we've been selling it with, with merch as a bundle package to try nice. to balance the price and, and keep it better. But for the worldwide idea, as much as I want Upstate to be our main distributor, we do plan on doing something with Cortex overseas for them to handle the generalities that we need in Europe. You know what I mean? Because, you know, there is a chance there that we could press and sell more than 500 over the next year or two. So it's best to have something pressed and distributed out there while Mario focuses on the rest of the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, you know, we figured we started with 500 
we wanted to do an old school 45 release instead of the usual seven inch. So, uh, you know, it, there's going to be at least a, a 45 version out there and eventually a seven inch. And every time we do a press, we'll make a, we'll make it different. You know, we won't just keep making black presses. We did that to simplify things with the first, with the first pressing here. You know, it's all it's all learning steps too. You know what I mean? Now, if somebody wanted uh, to order order like uh, one of these merch packages online, what where would they go? Like, what site would they go to to, to, to pick up? Well, this on Instagram, I, I think it's easy to find Upstate Records okay. online. You know what I mean? Offhand, I would just think it's UpstateRecords.com, but it's not that difficult. They're on Instagram, they're on Facebook. It could be Googled, uh, and if they went to my Instagram, which is Eddie underscore Leakway, um, you know, it would be easy to get that information. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. it really, right now, as far as the single, it's only available in 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 that physical uh, version. The B side hasn't been released online just yet. Uh, I have to figure out when that's going to be released because I want that out there as well because we're already looking to come up with a second single for the new year and back this up, you know, because this isn't the time to release two songs and then sit back and go, hey, how about that? Yeah, you, you got to I mean? keep hitting it. It's yeah. only a single. It's not a full length, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I, I want to do that because I haven't had the chance to do that. You know, down the line, I guess, you know, releasing a couple of more songs and doing you know like a live release or something like that would be a, a good idea but i'm taking my time i don't i don't want to release anything unless i'm actually 100 percent comfortable with it and it's going to maintain the legacy of the band i definitely don't want to fail the legacy you know i became eddie leeway you know i'm the guy that you know everybody associates with this band name you know, being the front man and everything else. So it's up to me to, to to keep that strong instead of making a fool out of myself like 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 some people have done. Yeah, know? I was gonna <laughs> I wasn't gonna name any names, but yeah, there's definitely uh, you know, some people I think are obviously looking to cash in on something and uh but but you know, I'm glad to hear I mean, you know, and like I said, the new the new material to me like upholds like, you know, the leeway sort of vibe and, you know, the whole package to me sounds like legit you know yeah we've had some inner controversy that i can't really talk about because i don't want to give that person satisfaction you know uh and you know there's a couple of trolls and haters out there people probably already know who one of them is you know but i i, I refuse to give them a verbal prop you know what I mean? Yeah, because no, I hear they you. want the attention. Yeah, validate Even if you're, they're talking shit about them, you're putting their word, their name out there, and, and they get recognized. You know, there's one hater out there that, you know, the only way he stays relevant is by talking mad, foul, disrespectful shit, you know. And they, he has some nerve to call himself a king or an OG because, you know, you're not living by the code 
of of what those connotations are. You know what I mean? It's like you know, real OG would not discuss uh, someone's you know, a loved one's uh, death. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you wouldn't be talking shit about someone who's supposed to be your brother and and talk about you know uh, a family member that's passed away or suffered terribly you know what i mean you wouldn't speak ill of the dead you would have certain levels of respect you would have a certain amount of code and ethic to you, you know? yeah unfortunately these days that's that's there's too much of um you know with social media and the sort of anonymous way that people can interact well this one person isn't trying to be anonymous but you do have your little haters that you know is still living at home miserable you know and life blew past them you know and they want to talk a lot of hate shit online they don't respect the new kids on scene because they don't know what they're doing what's with the spin kicking shit you know when did we become rockets you know Whatever, dude, you know, this was supposed to be about showing up and supporting the music and being yourself, you know, as long as you're not, you know, crowd killing on somebody, you know, you're allowed to be who you want to be pretty much, you know, if if you're being disrespectful to somebody, you're going to get your ass handed to you. I mean, you know, it is what it is. Also, you guys, there's a video out there, too. That's uh, making the rounds that people should yeah, be checking out. Yeah, you know, at this point, I don't know if we're calling it. I'm your pusher, pusher. You know what I mean? But the video's been out for several months, and and that's great because this time I really saw the value of the video by being in Poland three nights and seeing these people sing along with me on on the track. You know. Uh, I think these days, more so than back in the 80s when, you know, you're at MTV, it's almost like YouTube is really a way that people can find out about music. I know that a lot of times I'll even do the same thing. I'll just, you know, hear about a band, I'll plug in the name in YouTube, and I'll see what comes up. You know, a lot of times it's, it's uh, you know, cool stuff, you know, like videos, live stuff, things like that. Well, you know, um, that's how I guess the band stayed relevant because we had three decent videos out there yeah. for, since 91 you know between 91 and 95 three videos were released and um, the people that worked on the video did a phenomenal job and at the last minute this guy jumped in and said hey you know let me let me do some effects for it because it was going to be just a pretty white release uh, the, the the sound stage that we did the video on, it's called a cyclorama. We uh, built that from scratch <clears throat> the year before at uh, Sound Wars Studio in, in Hoboken, New York. I mean, New Jersey. Yeah. And, uh, you know, um, actually, they just filmed Marauder there this past weekend oh, wow. for this uh, project and series they wanted to do. But they realized how much of a production it was that one day. But it's supposed to be like... Uh, you know, kind of like uh, something to see on YouTube where you see a band do a couple of live songs and also an interview. You know, I don't even know how long they planned on doing it, but uh, it's an experiment and, and thing that they're, you know, working on right now. And uh, Marauder was the band that they chose and picked because Marauder is going to be a part of GNL 
management, oh, which cool. they call GNL All Stars. So you know, don't be surprised if you find me and Jorge coming into town together in a future tour. You yeah, know? I like I like that last Marauder record that came out a few years ago. Well, they're working on something nice. new. You know, Jorge's in a in a good place right now, and I think. Uh, from the guys that he has and stuff, I think he's he's got a good organized team. He's probably a lot like me, where you know he's been a father raising a family all this time, and it's hard to juggle both. And when you don't really have guys around you to help you with the organization and nuts and bolts of things, it's hard to get things done. You know. Oh yeah. Sure. Like I don't really like keeping books, you know. Up until recently, I used to just keep that shit in my hat, like I was Maya Lansky. You know <laughs> what I mean? But you know, uh, it's best to have notes and and have everything on paper just to keep it a bit more organized. It gives you a much better idea of, you know, what it takes to make this work. You know where the expenses are, things that you. If you don't make notes about it, you know, you'll forget about it when you're trying to, you know, put 10 dates together and balance everything out in advance. Yeah, being you know? organized is definitely a positive for sure, man, you know. Yeah, and, and you just have to push yourself a little yeah. more, you know what I mean? For me, the downtime of, of a show, like showing up, loading in, waiting for showtime, go on, I, I lose my mind with that, so... I need to keep busy, you know, and if I want to take a walk and have a cigarette and decompress or get my head ready before the show, I can go and do that. But it's a lot of fun, you know, meeting people on tour and and uh, talking to them and then giving you that love and respect, you know, about, you know, what the music or the band did for them or how they inspired them to do things. You know, some are musicians, you know, uh, some are doctors. I mean, I was hanging out with the, the guy at the first Polish show when we did Warsaw. I not only met the guys who snuck out of Poland to see Leeway in Prague, Czechoslovakia in the mid-90s. Oh, wow, yeah. But I hung out a whole night with a, with a doctor, you know, this surgeon who is such a fan of the music and how he explained to me what it meant to him and, you know, and, and how, you know, the values that he got from, from the local scene inspired him to be something special and get an education and become a doctor. You know, we're not just a bunch of fucking tattooed, you know, <laughs> fucking fools. You know, yeah. there's a lot of very articulate people that came out of our, our thing. They didn't have to necessarily be, you know, in a punk rock band, you know. And and there are some beautiful things that come from this. It's not just some negative, angry, you know, music, if you will. Well, Eddie, thanks a lot for uh, taking time out and, uh, and talking. My pleasure. Me. Anytime somebody calls me and wants to listen to me babble, <laughs> you know, it's, it's definitely a blessing. Yeah, it's, and, it's been a pleasure, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you. I appreciate same it. Same here. Thank you for giving me the chance tonight. Uh, I hope uh, people reach out more and uh, come out to a show, you know. The, the energy's still there. I still have a lot of fun. And um, I do my thing. It's guaranteed 
you know, to be fun, whether, you know, there's 30 or 300 in the room. Any plans to do, uh, to do anything in the U.S. at any point soon? We're looking to, uh, we're setting something up for October, November. We're definitely uh, trying to make the best of the time. The goal is to do 80 to 100 shows over the next three years. Nice. Make the best of the time that I have. So that means delivering more music soon, um, getting this single out to more people, and uh, just playing out, you know. Now keep that's my eyes where out. the action is. This is really, you know, uh, music for a live setting, you know. And, you know, every night brings something else. It's not always the packed house, rah-rah, you know, stage dive night. Other nights, you know, there's another way to perform but bring a great show, you know. Well, I'll keep not my eyes out. Not all slam dance anymore, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, all right, we'll yeah, have, thanks have, for everything tonight, Bob. You got it. Take care now. Bye-bye. All right. Bye-bye. Tune in next week and see what we have in store for you. The show is available on all streaming platforms, Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, etc. Also, be sure to check out Gimme Radio, streaming on the web, iOS, or Android. For one of the best metal communities, exclusive merch, interviews with artists, and so much more. I'll catch you guys next week. Take care. <laughs>